when you get started, the best thing that you can do, and let's say you're a solopreneur and you don't really have a team yet around you, some sort of admin assistant is usually the best place to start. And what you end up doing is you record yourself doing some of the tasks. So you map the critical client flow that I just talked about. And then what you do is you record little videos of when you're completing certain components of that. Welcome to the Become a Writer Today podcast with Brian Collins. Here you'll find practical advice and interviews for all kinds of writers. My guest today is David Jennings, who's an experienced entrepreneur, and he's also the author of Systematology. And he helps business owners, entrepreneurs, and creatives scale their business through creating systems, which is one of the key ideas in his book. Welcome to the show, David. Hey, Brian. Really looking forward to this episode. I came across your work about a year or two ago. So I think your book was published in 2020. And at the time, I was struggling with scaling my particular business because I was employing some freelance writers. And I was also trying to find time to write too. So I went down a rabbit hole of reading books about systems, like some of the ideas that you describe in your book. But before we get to that, would you give listeners a bit of a flavor for who you are and what your background is? Yes, uh, I've been a, an entrepreneur and business owner from when I left school, tried many different things, tried importing products from overseas, tried being in the stock market education space. We even opened a rock and roll clothing music store called Planet 13. And probably the business that I'm most well known for, though, was the last business, which I was in for about 10 years, which was my digital agency, Melbourne SEO Services. And I yeah, really got interested in how to market things online and just that whole process of digital advertising. You say in your bio that you scaled out of the SEO agency. So did did you sell it or are you still actively involved in it? So I was actively involved for 10 years and then I systemized myself out and put an operations lady in for three years. And then she actually ended up moving from Australia back to the US. And that's when we had decision time. Do we keep the business or do we sell it? So we did end up selling that business because I had lost the the passion for the digital agency stuff. And a lot of the work that I do with uh, systemology and helping small businesses kind of put process into place, that was starting to take off. So that was kind of almost like a, a bookend to that chapter. It was kind of like, yep, that's the end of the digital agency. And now it's time for me to focus on the new area. For your website, which is systematology.com, do you still use SEO to, to I suppose, grow your website and also the brand? Or are you more focused on content marketing? I kind of see it all in one big bucket. We do a lot of content marketing, but then we think about how do we repurpose and optimize that content. Some of it's on our website, some of it's on social media, some of it is on places like YouTube. So every piece of content that we create, we try and think, where is it going to live? What might people be searching to find that? And how do we then make sure that it's as best as we can optimized for wherever we'd like it to turn up? So you wrote the book, Systematology, or at least it was published in 2020. Did you write it during the pandemic or were you preparing this prior to the pandemic? It was a little bit before. My process for writing books is generally I'll have a a business that I'll want to promote. So I actually wrote a book in the digital agency as well. And then this book, Systemology, was to kind of promote the system side of our business. And 
I think about what's going to go into the book for a good amount of time. And then oftentimes I'll present to a small group, you know, either it's a one day workshop or it's an online program. We then record that and then that ends up getting transcribed and that writing ends up going off to our ghostwriter. So while the book came up, as you mentioned, uh, was that about 2020? I'd actually been working on it probably a good year and a half, two years prior to that because I do a lot of thinking and then the presenting and then I actually find writing books quite slow and tedious and painful. They're really worth it, but they're a lot of hard work. So I had been working on it for some time. When you were working on the idea for the book by coaching your clients and I suppose the seminars that you described, did it take you long to come up with the seven components of the system, which, which I'll ask you about in a moment? Yeah. Some of the components were more obvious than others. And it's almost like I came up with this framework and then I tested it with a few clients and made some adjustments. Oh, that step needs to go earlier or that step needs to go later or, hey, this particular thing is really interesting. And a lot of people seem to really like this step. So, that's actually what happened with one of the steps we'll talk about in Define, which is the critical client flow. That's like one piece that everybody seems to connect with. So I ended up dragging that forward and then putting it into step number one. So it's definitely like I, I came up with the initial concept, but then I always find testing through webinars and speaking to people is the best way to determine if, if it hits the mark. Like I, I definitely spent a lot of time up front getting the book just right prior to release. And when you were writing the book, did you have an ideal reader or client in mind? Yeah, definitely. So I initially started the systemization business to kind of scratch my own itch. So I kind of was the target audience and I kind of wrote the book that I wish that I had before I got started down the journey. So the the target audience is business owners that have a little bit of traction. They have some you know, a few team members around them, but they are still very much the bottleneck and they touch all aspects of the business from marketing to sales, to operations, to finance and, you know, overseeing just the strategy of the business. It's those business owners that are the ones that I've written the book for. Could you walk listeners through the the key ideas inside of the book? Yeah. So there are seven stages to systemology and the whole idea is to go from I don't really have any systems and processes in place to I've at least figured out my best practice. Like what am I currently doing and bring everybody up to that standard. So the the stages are define, assign, extract, organize, integrate, scale, and optimize. So the first one define is just how do you pick out the first 10 to 15 systems to focus on because there's so many systems and processes you could be documenting. You know, we try and apply the 80-20 rule and we think what are the 20% of the systems that deliver the bulk of the results? So that's step number one and there's a exercise in there we call the critical client flow. Step number two is assign, which is well, where does this knowledge currently reside? Who already knows how to do this task? Because in step one, you identify some tasks. In step two, you go, well, who does it well? And you might go, oh, Jenny knows how to answer the phone and qualify that lead. Well, let's find out what Jenny's doing. So step number two is all about thinking, where does the knowledge currently exist? Step number three is extract, which is then how do we get it out of the brain of those team members? Because oftentimes your best team members are busy 
And oftentimes they don't really like documentation or creating systems and processes. So there's a few little tricks we do to help with that third stage around making sure it's a two-person job. You've got the person with the knowledge, but you have a separate person who does the documentation and the creation of the systems. Step number four is about organize, which is where does this knowledge exist? Once you've extracted it, how do you make sure that it's easily accessible by the whole team and they can find it when they need it? Or even better, it's put under their nose when they're assigned a task. So, hey, I want you to do this. Here's the process to follow. And then step number uh, five is integrate, which is then we want to try and get the team on board. How do we have the team go, oh, yes, I'm going to follow these processes and I can see how this benefits me individually, not just the business, because a lot of business owners, they pitch the idea that we're systemizing and it's all about the business as opposed to helping the team to understand that adopting a systems mindset helps them do their job better and makes their job easier. And then step number six is scale. That's where we start to identify the systems required to grow and scale. So in that first step to find, we just identify the first 10 to 15 systems to get started. Whereas in scale, we think, well, what are the other systems that you might need to grow your business? Things like recruiting and onboarding and maybe some finance systems and management systems. And then the final stage in systemology is optimize. And that's all about rather than, you know, a lot of the other process methodologies um, like Lean and Six Sigma, they're all process improvement methodologies, which mean it pre-assumes you've got a process to improve. But a lot of small business, they haven't yet captured their process. So systemology captures what you're currently doing, not what you would like to be doing, brings everybody up to that standard. And that's actually the final stage, stage number seven, which is the optimize phase. And that's where we try and put a dashboard into place and we get some mechanisms where we can listen to the business so we know what's going wrong and then you can try and solve it from a system solution. So they're the the seven stages of systemology. So if it's okay with you, I'll I'll describe what I do in in my business and perhaps you could try and apply some of the systems and we can we can see what I should work on. So I run a content publishing business and Become a Writer Today is the main website. And I employ some editors and freelance writers who produce articles for the website and gets traffic through SEO and also through content marketing. And I suppose it's monetized through display advertising and through a course and books. So what are some of the systems that I should perhaps consider or how can I apply some of the the concepts that you've described? Mm. So the first thing that you do is map what we call the critical client flow. Now, this will vary a little bit depending on the business because some people have e-commerce businesses, some people have bricks and mortar, some people are service, some people are product-based businesses. And for you, it sounds like you've got a couple of different ways that you monetize. The best thing to think about is we need to start somewhere. So you would think about something like, let's say one of your products. And we'd say, the first thing you need to think about is who is your ideal customer? Who purchases one of your primary products or what is one of your primary products called? So I have a club for writers. It's called a successful writers club. It was a membership program. Perfect. And the target audience for that is that like, who is the person who would purchase that product? tends to be uh, new writers, primarily nonfiction writers. 
perfect. Perhaps they're looking to uh, earn a living from writing or blogging, for example. Yep. So step number one is you get out an A4 bit of paper. In the top left-hand corner, you write down your dream client that we just talked about, the fiction writer, and then we write down the primary product that we're going to focus in on, which is probably going to be the, the club to start with. And then what you do is you map the linear journey that that prospect goes through from you grabbing their attention all the way through to getting them to sign up and you delivering. So you'd go, how do you currently get the attention of that target audience? And you said you create some content and you've got some different ways that you do it. So on an A4 bit of paper, you'd list that out. So what are the top you know, two or three ways that you grab the attention of those fiction writers? So I would publish... SEO optimized articles on specific yep. topics related to some of the ideas inside of the course. I would also have an email list where you can join for free and receive a free book. Then you'll get weekly writing advice and also a YouTube channel and podcast like this one. Perfect. Yes. Yeah. So you'd list out those in this exercise called the critical client flow first. Then you move down and you think, how do you handle an incoming inquiry? Now, before someone makes a purchase, sometimes they might send you an email or maybe they call you or there might not really be much of a sales process because you've just got a sales letter and once you get them onto your website, you get them into your database and you email them regularly and then you pitch them to join the club. So what does the process look like for you to then pitch into the club? Then you might have some sort of onboarding process like once someone signs up, what do you do then to get them on board and integrated? Now, some of this in your business might be automated. Different businesses are different. Sometimes this might be, you know, they have to manually set them up in some sort of project management platform and they start ticking off some of the tasks. But for your business, some of this will be handled by your marketing automation. And then what do you do to ensure they stick around? So you basically map this out first and then you ask the question, where is the bottleneck as far as if you got 10 times as many customers tomorrow, what breaks first? And you look at your critical client flow and you might say, Dave, I've got most of the automation handled on the back end. People order themselves. There is no real sales process. Really, all I need to do is traffic. And then we say, great. Well, let's then double down into the traffic. Like, and you mentioned SEO articles, email, YouTube, and podcast. And then we would go, Let's now create the processes to make sure that they consistently happen without being dependent on you. That's good advice. I've immediately identified some steps that I can take uh, after the call (laughs) or after the interview. In that critical client flow, without fully drawing it out and in your head, if you needed to 10x the amount of customers that you have, is there an area that comes to mind first? Are you just like, hey, the back end is sorted or would you say onboarding or is it the sales process or is it the lead generation? Like which part of that would inhibit you 10Xing? Uh, well, I suppose it would always be good to get more relevant uh, traffic from the right types of customers or students, firstly. And then secondly, to ensure that when a student joins my email list, that they're getting the right types of content that helps them or whatever their particular writing challenge is. So one of the challenges of having a larger email list is making sure you're sending the right information or the right helpful articles or videos to the right subscribers. Yes. Yeah. There's probably two areas there that you could focus in on. One is looking at your systems related to the lead generation, whether that's around your 
article writing, whether that's how the podcast is produced, whether or not the it's the YouTube, and to try and think about how you can hopefully remove key person dependency. But there's a chance at the moment you're involved in, you're obviously involved in the podcast. You might be involved in some of the YouTube stuff, but how can we make it that you only are involved in the pieces where you bring the magic? There might be a range of other things where you don't bring magic, as in for the podcast, you and I doing the interview now, that's the magic. The editing it afterwards, the uploading it, the getting the audio right, you know, prepping it to get emailed to the database. Like there's a whole bunch of things that happen around the magic that you'd want to systemize that. And then similarly, another area of focus for you based on what you said might have to do with effectively the onboarding or once someone comes into your world, reviewing how do you then organize and sort someone so that you can better target the right message or the right content to the right person at the right time. So again, your business is probably a little bit different because it's an info business, Yeah, but everybody's business is a little bit different. So it's just a matter of figuring out where the bottlenecks are in your existing business. I feel like one of the challenges that I could have, or perhaps the listener could have, if they have, let's say, a new content publishing business or they're running a niche website or a blog, is it's quite difficult to outsource all of those roles. So, for example, a podcast editor and somebody to manage the email list and onboarding. How does somebody get started? Like, how would I get started if I didn't have much of a budget? Definitely when you get started, the best thing that you can do, and let's say you're a solopreneur and you don't really have a team yet around you, some sort of admin assistant is usually the best place to start. And what you end up doing is you record yourself doing some of the tasks. So you map the critical client flow that I just talked about. And then what you do is you record little videos of when you're completing certain components of that. And you just start to organize it into a Google Drive or something like that or a SharePoint folder initially. You might do that for three or six months and then you'll go, right, now it's time to hire an admin assistant. The admin assistant comes on board and you start off by getting them to watch some of the videos and help to transfer and move those recorded videos into just little checklists and little systems. And in that process, as they do that, then they will be able to identify which ones they feel they could comfortably complete. And then you start to slowly chisel off just small, repetitive, essential tasks that you're doing. Maybe it's scheduling a podcast. Maybe it's arranging for the editor afterwards once the podcast is done. And you just start chiseling these little administrative tasks off. And what that does is that then gives you a little bit more time to then focus on the higher value tasks because you want to keep moving towards working on only those magic tasks that only you can do. And the other tasks, you slowly start delegating down to admin assistant. Now, if you're a solo person and you're up and running and you've got a tight budget, then you might even look to you know offshoring that. Maybe you go to an emerging economy where you get slightly better bang for your buck, or maybe you find a return to work mum or dad who works in the area who you know you can just give five or ten hours a week just to kind of reduce that initial risk and commitment for yourself. Do you find a lot of your clients have trouble handing over responsibilities for different parts of their business? I'll give you an example. When I started hiring freelance writers. I edited a lot of the articles myself. That was fine for a while. 
But then because I wasn't writing all the articles, I was able to publish more articles, which meant there was more work that I could edit myself. So I found it quite difficult to hand over the editing as well. Yeah, there's definitely something that happens when the business owner is the mechanic because most businesses get started where the business owner is the mechanic and they understand inside and out how to work the car and how to do the edits and things like that. And what ends up happening is it's really easy for the business owner to default into, I'll just do it myself. So that was the problem why I got stuck in my digital agency for so long is because I was on top of SEO and the cutting trends and things that were happening. And it was much easier for me to just solve the problems that I needed to review because I wanted to maintain a certain quality with the work that we were doing with the clients. What ended up happening, and it got me to look at business differently, was we ended up setting up a a sub company underneath our digital agency, and it was a video production business because I was getting asked all these times, hey, can you guys help us to produce content? But I'm not a video guy, so I don't know how to edit. I'm not, I don't know how to do the shooting. I don't know. And when I went through that exercise of doing that and having to hire someone to do that piece, it really got me to think about how can you build a business where you don't know how to do the thing? And it's a bit of a blessing and a curse sometimes when you know how to do the thing. So I get the challenge and you kind of have to navigate through this because if you can't find someone else to do it, you will forever do it. So it's almost like you'll need to find that writer who can write to a good enough standard. And maybe you start off with writers, but at some point you're probably going to need to find an editor as well. And I've started saying now, if you're looking to grow a business beyond you and the business core function has to be dependent on you, then it's kind of like it's broken. So we need to think about A, can we find someone who can do that editing? Or B, do we need to look at another product line for you that can be delivered without you having to be across it. Speaking of product lines, your business has some software which uses the systems inside of the book. So I'm presuming you're not a software developer that you outsource the development of the system hub. Yes. So we found a development crane, a company in uh, Ukraine, in Eastern Europe. It was before everything that went down in Ukraine, but we've still managed to navigate through that with them quite well. But yes, I'm not a software guy and I just really explain to them the problem that I was looking to solve. And then we've worked with them over a number of years to develop the software. And now we've kind of got some team members on staff who who kind of understand it quite intimately. And then we still work with the original coders as well. So, so what do you decide to focus on then, David, like as, as your kind of most important activity in the business? Yeah, I think at the moment, like, you know, we try and be the best example of what we teach. So, and every business has to go through this series of phases where when I started System Hub and Systemology, I was on the tools, I'm answering support tickets and I'm in it. I think where most people get stuck is they stay in that mode, but I've tried to work myself further out and out. So, we have got a CEO uh, and an operations lady and we have some different department heads. At the moment, I'm back in as like a quasi- marketing department head just while we try and recruit and find the right person for that role and we've kind of it's an area of strength for me so it's easier to kind of move me into that I don't really dabble in the sales or the operations of the business and then the the next 
view for us is to kind of really systemize what we're doing in the marketing department and then recruit someone to replace me. We've got a marketing team, but yeah, we need a strong marketing department head. Mm, great. So just regarding the book, Michael E. Gerber wrote the foreword and he is, of course, the author of the excellent book, which everybody should read, is called The E-Mitch Revisited. Did you know Michael prior to writing your book, David, or did you reach out? No, I I had a series of very fortunate events. I talk about it in the book because Michael wrote the foreword and his wife was involved. I didn't know Michael at all prior to writing the book. And what happened was by chance, his wife reached out to me and said, can you help Michael launch the last book in his EMIT series, because all of the previous books were done through HarperCollins and we would like to maintain the rights. And before my systemology book, my first book was a book called Authority Content. And she happened to see my book launch and followed along with it and then said, oh, I love this. Can you do this for Michael? So she didn't know I was doing anything with systems and processes. She reached out to me through the digital agency I did that work with Michael and helped him launch the book. All the while, in the background, I'm kind of working towards writing systemology and like it was just like the universe served a magnificent opportunity up on my plate. And I then, after we did the book launch for Michael, I said, hey, Michael, I'm working on this book. Would you be interested in you know reading it and letting me know what you think? And once he got through the book, he said, wow, this is like the the how-to guide for the e-myth. The e-myth was all the why-to, and this is very much the how-to. So, he was kind enough to write the forward for it, and that was a big part of what made me pivot as well. I kind of felt like this was the universe saying, Dave, you need to be doing this. Time for you to leave the digital agency and time for you to focus on this. So, that was around the time when I made the pivot as well. Fantastic. So, David, where can people go if they run to read your book or learn more about your services? Look, best place is always Amazon. And if you're listening to this, you might be an audio person. So through the Amazon, you can get to Audible. So there is the audio book. Michael Gerber actually reads the forward himself and his wife makes a cameo. So just Systemology, if you search that on Amazon or go to systemology.com. There's links to my YouTube channel, links to all extra resources if you need a little bit of an extra hand. I'll be sure to include the links in the show notes, but thanks for your time, David. Yeah, pleasure. Thank you, Brian. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you did, please consider leaving a short review on the iTunes store or sharing the show on Spotify, Stitcher or wherever you're listening. More reviews, more ratings and more shares will help more people find the Become a Writer Today podcast. And did you know for just a couple of dollars a month, you could become a Patreon for the show? Visit patreon.com forward slash become a writer today or look for the support button in the show notes. Your support will help me record, produce and publish more episodes each month. And if you become a Patreon, I'll give you my writing books, discounts on writing software and on my writing courses. Thank you.